Well, it's a joy to be back with you here in Missoula. I'm a prophet from a far country, and I came over the mountains yesterday, and there was snow at Lookout Pass, so be warned of the sign of the times that are coming. Uh, That really is kind of where you find yourselves in God's Word in this series of the Minor Prophets, is it not? There are so many things, even in creation, that tell us about these. Now, I come to Missoula, and I thank Bob and Terry Thompson for giving me great hospitality. I know about the love of Christ from them, so kudos to them. Also, for Pastor Paul Taylor uh, granting me the great privilege of standing before you to declare God's word from the book of Obadiah. Now, I know that this is probably a, a constant feed for you. I'm always going back to the book of Obadiah and studying that. Uh, not. That doesn't usually happen. But that's part of the privilege of preaching through God's word is that we find ourselves coming into texts that we kind of say, wow, I think I've read that before. But man, I didn't know that it said that. That's my hope this morning. It's my prayer this morning that you too will come and become more familiar with Obadiah and the message that lines up with the rest of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. But to begin, first our title is Obadiah, the Day of Juxtaposition. Okay, so I you know, tried to grab one of those catchy sermon titles and you're like, I don't remember the last time I saw the word juxtaposition in a sermon. Well, today is your day here at Discovery Alliance Church. Now, I've got some photographs kind of as my opening attention. I was sitting on my back deck in Spokane Valley this past week, and as you can see here, um, it was a beautiful day. It was 75 degrees. Uh, The geese were quacking. I'm like, where are you guys going? And they're like, flee, flee from the wrath to come. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that fits right in with my sermon. And see the gnats there against my neighbor's window? Ah, boy, I just wanted to run over there and say, your life is but a vapor, okay? The time is short. How about this? (laughs) Wow, leprosy-laden maple tree breaching its way through the fence from my neighbor's yard, okay? Does that not tell you that judgment is coming? Something's not right there in that picture. And how about the leaves on the ground? They've already let their testimony be known. Uh, we're gone, we're done, it's over. Judgment day has arrived, and here we are, stubble on the ground. So, are we going to heed these birds and these leaves and these trees and the book of Obadiah? That's my hope and prayer this morning, is that you'll give attention not only to the reading of God's Word, but also to the preaching of God's Word as we hear from the prophet about a judgment that is very peculiar to a group of people that is also very peculiar, but that we'll find by the end of the text is actually very common and universal. So let's pray and ask for God to bless this in particular. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And as we approach this text that is so old, we pray that this ancient text would come alive here at Discovery Alliance Church this morning. We pray that the word of God would go forth with power and a demonstration of your spirit, that this one who is dressed in red this morning would be a symbol and a recognition of the fact that Edom has a judgment against them, 
and so do all of the reprobate who have ever lived. We have a very solemn word from God this morning, and so I pray that your spirit would show us that solemnity, but also give us hope in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our prayer this morning, and we ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't yet turned in your Bibles to Obadaba, by the way, I am old school, so I'm a text guy, I'm not a screen guy, so if you find yourself in the text in Obadiah, keep your thumb there, because we're going to go to a couple other passages as we work through this text, and we're going to see some support from some of the other passages of the Bible. But we're going to read in sections this morning, because this is the shortest book of the Old Testament. There's only a handful of verses, and we're going to look at them in three different sections. And I'm going to read each section by themselves, and we'll have the preached word in between them. So looking at Obadiah, the word here, Obadiah, is a title. It's a name given to the servant of Yahweh. That's what Obadiah means. Obadiah was a prophet, and there are 12 other guys in the text of the Bible that carry that same name. But there's only one prophet that brings us this one message. He ministered probably during the time of Amos, probably the time of Elijah. Uh, somewhere around 845 BC, this proclamation comes forth. Now, what you're going to see is that the fulfillment of the prophecy actually doesn't take place until after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. And then we're going to see the actual fulfillment in AD 70, in an unbiblical event, but one that was prophesied in the Bible, the destruction of Judah, Jerusalem, and Edom. The reading of God's word from Obadiah chapter 1, I'll be reading through verse 9 initially. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, Yahweh, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares Yahweh. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you would be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked. And his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border. And the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed. O Teman, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. When we look at the Old Testament text, especially the prophetic words, we oftentimes kind of tremble in our shoes and it's like, why do pastors spend so much time in the New Testament? 
Well, in a sense, it's trying to avoid these types of texts. So again, kudos to your pastor, who is a fearless preacher of God's word. Because you know what I was doing when I was taking those pictures? I was listening to Pastor Paul Taylor proclaim to you Hosea and Joel and Amos. And I thought, again, do the people of Discovery Alliance Church in Missoula, Montana, understand what God has sent to them in Pastor Paul Taylor? He is a fearless preacher of the word. If you don't believe me, go and listen on sermon audio to other preachers. They don't preach as if they are prophets of God, but your pastor does. And therefore, you get a feeling, a flavor of the danger that people live in as they live out their lives on this earth, unaware of the fact that there is doom pending. It's coming. Whether creation is telling us that this judgment is coming or whether you hear it from God's word, this was a word to Esau, to Edom. And you say, why Esau? Why Edom? Because it's all in the family when it comes to these guys. They're twin brothers. Now, let's take a look. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 25. In chapters, Genesis chapter 25, we get the backstory of this judgment proclaimed to the nation of Edom. Now, we're going back to like 1800 BC. Then a thousand years goes by, and then the prophet preaches 845, and then the prophecy is fulfilled after 586, and ultimately completed in AD 70. So we're talking almost 2,000 years waiting for God's judgment. Now, God is slow to anger, and he is slow to wrath. There is plenty of time for repentance from sin and judgment that is coming. And this is the word that should be proclaimed from every pulpit, that every ear should hear that the day of the Lord is coming. And we should be people who live in fear of that reality, in fear of the God who's coming to judge. But where does this story begin? It goes right back to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Consider in Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34, the word of the Lord. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean of Padaram, the sister of Laban, an Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And afterwards his brother came forth, with his hand holding onto Esau's heel, so this name he called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. 
Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please, let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What's the message here? God hates Edom. He hates Esau. This is a hard message when a church, like the church in America, preaches so consistently. God loves everybody and has a wonderful plan for your life. For those people who read their Bibles, you know that's not true. It's not even close to being true. Psalm 5.5, Psalm 11.5, God hates those who do iniquity. This should put the fear of God in us. God hates those who sin against him. And you say, well, wait a minute. If I were to be honest, I'm a sinner. Therefore, God's wrath is directed against me. Uh, bingo. That is correct. God's wrath is directed against you. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. If God's wrath is directed against you, then what hope do you have of surviving the day of judgment that is to come? Ah, that's where Jesus Christ comes in. For he is a propitiation for your sins. And you're like, propitiation? That's not a word that I come across every day. What does that mean? It means that when the wrath of God is directed against you, Jesus Christ steps in the way and he is your shelter from the storm of God's wrath. Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and he did that by stepping in the way of God's wrath, enduring the wrath of God on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that we might be saved. That's the gospel message. It's a message of Jesus saving us from God. Now, that again, I want to say it again. Did you hear that? Jesus is not saving us from all these other things only, sin and death and judgment and Satan and the world system. He's saving us from a holy God who cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And God does not tolerate Edom. Now, backstory again, what's going on in 586? God is pouring out his judgment upon Judah. Now, he's already poured out his judgment in 722 B.C. on the northern kingdom of Israel. And you know that those kingdoms split in 930 after the death of Solomon. With the divided kingdoms, all of the kings of the northern kingdom, 20 of them, were wicked. And God's judgment was proclaimed by the prophets of old that the judgment would come upon the northern kingdom and they would be scattered by the Assyrians. And that was fulfilled in 722. Judah survived by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin under the leadership of Hezekiah. Now, by the time that the Babylonians showed up in 605 and the first wave of exiles went off into Babylon, 
Jerusalem was doomed. 597, another wave left Judah. And finally, the wrath of King Nebuchadnezzar came in and Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was knocked down and every stone was fell to the ground. The judgment of God. But it's really important to distinguish. There's two groups here. There's a group that God loves and there's a group that God hates. This group that God loves does not mean that he's not bringing his discipline upon them. Now, having listened to Pastor Paul's message over the last three weeks, I know that he's told you that God disciplines those he loves. That's what was going on during the history of Israel. God was sanctifying his people because they were disobedient to the laws that he had commanded. They were breaching the covenant, and God was bringing them back to himself through some hard times. But he never took his love off of Israel and Judah. He never took his love off of them. But he never gave his love to Edom. The reality of this, this hard message, is that God has established that there are two groups of people and there is an arraignment against Edom. There are reasons why God judged Edom. Let's take a look at this in verses 10 through 14. Obadiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. The arraignment of the enemies of God. Because of the violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them, do not gloat over your brother, your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. And do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. This is the reality in which a prophetic warning was given to a people. Now that people was incubated between 1800 B.C. and 586 B.C. So this word was out there, and this word is ultimately a consolation. It's a comfort for God's chosen people. Every time Edom would come in and they would mess with Israel, just like Esau and Jacob had their conflicts, it was a never-ending history. And the people of Israel were like, here they are again, the red men, the Edomites, later to be called the Idumeans. They're always coming and messing with us. Is there ever going to be a day of justice? And the answer to that is, yes, there is a day coming in which justice, and there is a justification for this judgment to come, and we just read it. How many times did God say, don't gloat, don't rejoice, don't boast, don't enter the gate, don't gloat, don't loot, don't stand in the way, don't imprison them, and yet... As many times as that word could have been uttered in the ears of Edom, it's exactly what they did in 586 B.C. 
when King Nebuchadnezzar came in and when the judgment of Jerusalem was in effect. So they did exactly what God told them not to do, disobedience. And really the message here is that you will behave according to the group in which you belong. You will behave that way. So if there are two groups in the world, one is righteous and one is wicked, the righteous should behave righteously. And the wicked are going to be evildoers across the board. That's what they do. Proverbs 16.4 says that God has made the wicked for the day of evil. This is God's design. And it is to set apart so that you can see the attributes of God. God has many attributes, not just love. There are more. God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. He is a God of judgment. And he judges rightly when he judges. And therefore, we need to look at this judgment and see where it originates. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I'm going to warn you, this is one of the most hated chapters in the Bible. You say, wow, that's really kind of a bold statement. Why, Why do people hate Romans 9? Because what it does is it declares that there are two realities. One for God, who is sovereign above all else. And everything God does, he sovereignly does. And we're totally depraved. Okay? That's humanity in its fallen state of sin. That's been the way it has been since Genesis 3-5. When the devil came to Adam and Eve and said, would you like to be gods? And if you look out into the world and you look at the behavior of Edom, you look at the behavior of the people of the world, there's nothing different. Pride and arrogance are the trademark of the reprobate. That's just the way that it is. It's the way it always has been, and it will be that way until the day in which Jesus Christ returns to judge the world. And when he judges, it's going to be destruction. Now, Romans chapter 9, in this particularly despised passage, why is it despised? Well, let's consider the idea, first of all, that not all people that carry the name Israel are actually Israel. And I want to link this to Edom. Remember, there was Abraham, the patriarch, and the covenant and the promises were given to Abraham. He had a son, Isaac, and from Isaac came Esau. So the Edomites were circumcised. They knew about those covenant promises. And so, in a sense, they felt very comfortable in where they lived. And where did they live? If any of you have ever been to the southeast section of the Dead Sea, over in the country of modern-day Jordan, uh, many people travel to the city of Petra. I was there a few years ago. And to travel into Petra, you have to travel along what's called the Snake Trail. It's only 15 feet wide at its widest point, so a very narrow, winding path to get to the city. And if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, you know the very famous trademark of that particular city, Petra, is a city edifice carved into the very rock at the end of the Snake Trail. This was a very secure place. They felt as if nobody could touch them. If you look at Edom, if you look from the Israeli side of the Jordan Rift Valley over across to the eastern edge, you see that the mountains rise as high as 5,700 feet from the lowest point 
in the earth. You didn't know that the Dead Sea is the lowest point on the planet Earth? That's the lowest point on the planet Earth. From there, 5,700 feet, this rises up these cliffs, and there's a ridge along that Jordan Rift Valley. And within that ridge, there are what are called wadis. They're typically dry rivers that when it does rain there, man, does it come out. And you don't want to be in the face of a wadi when it comes through those cliffs because those canyon walls are seriously high. But if you were to look closer, what you would find were these plateaus all along that ridge. And on those plateaus, some of the most fertile land in the Middle East. This was the land of the Edomites. And if you look at it from afar, especially when the sun is setting, it looks red. Man, and I'm telling you, this theme red is all over this book and all over this story. Esau was red when he came out of his mother's womb. He was eating red stew when he was selling his birthright to his brother. The land in which those people landed was red. It looks red. And you know what? The Bible says your sin is like scarlet. It's the picture of sinfulness, red. It is a red, sinful world when we look at the Edomites. And we kind of have to look at ourselves as being Edomites for a moment and saying, what would it be like if I didn't have a savior? What would it be like if nothing but judgment was a part of my future? And that's what I want you to kind of step into their moccasins today and walk in their sandals for a moment and just consider all of the prosperity, all of the security, all of the things that they were putting their trust in. They had alliances with different people, and God despised them because they did not trust in him. They were trusting in themselves and all the things that they had. Now, in Romans chapter 9, Paul is bringing out this story of Jacob and Esau. Let's look at it, starting in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel, that's the church, that's the spiritual Israel, who are descended from Israel. That's ethnic Israel, the Jewish people. Okay, So not all people that are in Christ's church are Jewish. That's an encouragement to any of you who are Gentiles out there. But it's also an encouragement to the Jews that when they see their people not behaving the way that they should, that there is a separation amongst the Jews and there is a separation amongst the Gentiles and that what is formed as a result is the righteous nation of Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, and the unrighteous. And it's always been like that and it will go all the way through history. Neither are they all children, verse 7, because they are Abraham's descendants. Remember, Esau was a descendant. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. So the, the line of the righteous came through Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is a word of promise. At this time will come, Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purpose according to his choice, 
his choice, might stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me this way? Will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath to make his power known, endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but from among the Gentiles. There it is. It's God's choice. It's God's design. From his determinate will, from before the foundation of the world, God has chosen a people for himself. He wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 13, 8, 17, 8, and 21, 27. It's right there. He predestined us as sons to adoption. What love God has shown in having mercy upon his people. His love is everlasting. It never changes. He will never withdraw it from those he has chosen, whom Christ has redeemed, and whom he has sent the Holy Spirit to make them alive. God's people rejoice in the knowledge of this truth, but we should also not abhor the Edomite. That's against the law. We should recognize the fact that the judgment that is being issued against the multitudes of people in this world is terrifying. The day of the Lord is coming. How do we know? Well, turn back to Obadiah and let's read about the day of the Lord. My third point for you is that the day of the Lord is coming. And I know that you've heard that the last three weeks, but we need to hear it again. And we need to see what happens when there is an extension of not only a judgment against Edom, but a judgment against all nations. So we'll be looking at Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 15. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. All the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return upon your own head because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed but on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy, 
and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble and they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor on the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev, that's a desert in the south, will possess the mountain of Esau to the east. And those of the Shephelah, the Philistine plain, also they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead and the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are at Sepharad will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. In looking at this in conclusion, what we're looking at is what is prophesied in the Old Testament and carried through in the New Testament. You might say, who was the most prolific preacher of judgment in the New Testament? Therefore, we don't separate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There's one God, and he is the God of both Testaments. And therefore, we should fear and tremble as we read the New Testament as well. And what do we find? It's Jesus who is the number one preacher of hell in the Bible. So you say, oh, I like Jesus, but I don't like this doctrine called hell. Well, that's ridiculous. Jesus is the one that teaches us most about the doctrine of hell, that it is outer darkness. It is a fire that never is extinguished. It is eternal punishment for those who have disobeyed God, those who have sinned against God, and those who have no salvation from God. That judgment is coming, and it's coming on the great mass of humanity. And every now and then, you get a natural disaster, a hurricane, or a tornado. And you realize the fact that this judgment comes, that there are people who don't know that it's the day of their death. I stopped at Alberton yesterday at one of my favorite bookstores, and the owner there, Karen, told me that her son, her husband, and her father were all truck drivers, and they all were record drivers along the I-90. And she says, they have seen so much death. And I said, you know what, Karen? I said, one of the things that I try to teach my kids is that when we see kind of a cataclysmic death happen, I said, you know those people woke up and they combed their hair? Well, some of, some of the people combed their hair. They brushed their teeth, they put their clothes on, and they did not expect that this was the day of their death. They did not anticipate it. It was not on their schedule. But the Lord who made those people knows the number of their days before there is even yet one of them. Psalm 139 and verse 16. He knows the number of your days. He knows exactly where your heart is at today. He knows exactly whether you're walking in the footsteps of Edom or whether you are suffering through this time, through this world in anticipation of your deliverer coming. There's only two groups of people and people behave according to the group in which they belong. One of those groups will be saved. And how will, be they, how will they be saved? They will be saved because before the foundation of the world, God chose them to be saved. Jesus Christ was sent into the world to save that group of people from their sins. And he was 100% successful 
in securing every single one of them. And then, after Jesus had completed his work, said, it is finished, ascended into heaven, was enthroned on the throne of God, now he waits as he reigns and rules over all for the Holy Spirit to go and to gather God's people into the Israel of God, the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you this morning, do you belong to the church? Do you belong to the Israel of God? Is the good shepherd of the sheep even calling you this morning saying, it's time to stop living like Esau? My love is not set upon Esau. My wrath is upon Esau. And if you continue in your ways, you will experience the judgment of God, for it is appointed once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment, Hebrews 9.27, and that judgment comes with a sentence, and that sentence is eternal punishment in the fiery hell of the lake of fire forever. Fear and tremble, O church of God, for the people of Edom, the people of this world who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But if that's you today, Today is the day of your salvation if you repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, and place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else. There is only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, and he is not just coming to save. That was his first advent, but the second advent of Jesus Christ, he will come. And you can get a picture of that in the book of Revelation there will be flaming eyes as he looks upon his enemies and he will torch this planet, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It will be utter destruction. That's what's coming to the earth. So are you storing up treasures upon the earth or are you storing up treasures in heaven? People, the time is near. The vapor of your life is dissipating. Don't waste your life on the things of this world. It's growing strangely dim. Don't even be consumed by the news of this world because there's nothing new under the sun. Don't waste your time with the news. Look to the good news and see that your redemption draws nigh. People of God, consider the fact that as Jesus comes, there is an eternal end and it aligns exactly with the group. There is a number of people, a specific number that God knows. He knows every one of them by name. Jesus said, I know my sheep. I know my sheep. I know them by name. I call them by name. Jesus is calling you to come to him today. Come. Can you sing with the saints of God? Lord, I need you. Then join us today. Join the Israel of God be a part of God's redeemed people, for that is what God had predestined before the foundation of the world. If not, if you choose to continue to live as Edom, then know that you have heard the word of the Lord, the judgment against you now, in the days ahead, and forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this is a fearful word. It is a solemn testimony of the fact that your judgment is just against sinners. Lord, we so thank you for sending forth your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We delight in the fact that this is your plan from before the foundation of the world, and we delight that it's being executed even in our midst this morning. 
Lord, if there is anyone here who has not made that commitment, who has not trusted in the Lord Jesus, would you open their heart to respond even today? Would you put your word within them that the seed of the word would bring forth life and light to them, that they too might join with the saints of old and the saints that are in heaven and the saints that are here in this room this morning? And would you grant them the grace unto salvation? Would you have mercy and be compassionate towards your people as you call them home to yourself? We're so grateful for so great a salvation and therefore we rejoice and we sing in recognition of our need for a Savior and the recognition of the fact that you have sent him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.